Blog Talk Radio. Third eye, to understand the 
trying to find my way Staring in space, dreaming of a day I've been fishing for a blessing just to hear you say Well done, son, out of pride and faith From my shoulders weight from the burden's lay Knuckles root from mistakes I made Sweet Georgia, hold me down Keep my feet planted on solid ground Yeah, 
this thing that's going on between us Something I can't fight Not tonight Not I'm in love, I'm in love, I'm in love out here on the dance floor. I'm in love, I'm in love, I'm in love out here on the dance floor. I'm out of hiding, cause I've been trying to find you. Been looking high and low, wanting you more and more. To come and dirty wine, come and dirty yeah. I love the way you move. I love the way you move. Like how you doing what you do. Like how you doing what you do. You, you yeah, got yeah. me hypnotized. Got me all in my mind. I'm trying not to lose it. Your body, body, body. Tell me about the big. I don't even care. No. I want it, want it, want it. I want you to myself. I don't wanna share. I don't wanna share. Your body, body, body. Ooh, got me in my feelings Girl, you're a star Oh, that's what you are You know, you know you're doing something to me Got my emotions on a roller coaster ride This thing's going on between us Something I can't find Not tonight Not tonight Rolodex 
that's right around you that can help you either learn how to do what you need to do or be able to assist you or point you into the direction so that you're not really bumping around in the dark when you're making your bold moves. You have a little guidance there. We got our first guest, M. Whalem. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Oh, peace and blessings. Oh, it's pronounced Mualim. Mualim. Okay, so now, see, because, you know, we can tear it. Well, you don't know, but I'm going to tell you. We can tear a name up up in the chat room. Tear it up real good. Oh, you tell, oh, oh. <laughs> tell, me, tell me where Mualim oh, oh. originates from. Oh, the name Walim originates from Aramaic. It's also found in Arabic. It means teacher. And depending on who you talk to, it could also mean heretic. Oh. And now, now but, see, you're going to have us getting all into it because now I want to know what made you choose that, that name? It was actually given to me by a mentor um, oh. many years ago. And actually one of the tasks he gave me when he gave me the name was I had to find out what it meant. And now bear in mind, I'm, I'm an old dude, so I was given this name before we had Google. Oh, so, goodness. So he gave me this name, and I had to basically find out what language it was or what languages it was, and um, then find out what it meant. So I ended up hitting about three or four libraries. Massachusetts, which is the tribal territory of the Mashpee Wampanoag, which is my father's side of the family. So I grew up in both my Caribbean side, Barbados, and and my native side, growing up in both cultures and growing up with the storytelling of both cultures. And that's pretty much where my storyteller, writer side developed through, was just the those exposures. And then... Um, as a musician on my mother's side of the family, I'm a fifth-generation musician. My grandfather was a um, band leader and arranger. His name was Alan Nurse, and he was a producer initially for Decca Records in the 1930s and then later for Southern Records in the um, 40s and led his own band, the Alan Nurse Orchestra. He was my original piano teacher. And I started playing music when I was about 10. I started out as a viola player. I played at Carnegie Hall just before I turned 14, and then I went to Music and Art High School, which is now LaGuardia in New York, and um, while I was there, that was when I started studying piano with my grandfather, and when I was about 16, that was my first experience as a studio session player, playing viola on a couple of people's records. And then from there I went on and I studied music in college. I went to Boston University. I also studied screenwriting. And um, I studied theater with a company called New African Company. So that was how I got into playwriting. And it was all to me just an extension of storytelling, whether I was writing songs or poetry or plays or stories. They were all, you know, you know, books. They were all, it was all storytelling to me. So my journey basically has always been a combination of theater and music. And, um, yeah, storytelling. 
I love it. I love it. Now, is music what you've always wanted to do uh, just because it was around you, or did you start off wanting to do something else? It was pretty much what I always wanted to do. I guess you could say it was what I was always doing. Even if I thought I was interested in something else, it was always around music. Um, I remember when I was in third grade, for example, I had a classmate whose father was an arranger, and he came to school and talked about being an arranger and played some of his records, and that sort of reinvigorated, because I remembered that's what my grandfather did, except obviously many years before, and realized I always had a fascination with recording. So it was, you know, of no surprise I got into production and now I own a recording studio. So, you know, it, it's these things were always in place and they've always, you know, sort of at different points in life come forward. I love it. I love it. And, now, talk about it was, your book. It, okay. I was actually about to say the, the experiences as a musician and especially a musician growing up in New York and growing up in New York when hip-hop was first developing and of course, growing up in the Bronx, where which was sort of like the meeting place of so many different cultures of music, that was that experience is what I capture in the novel, or actually what's going to be the novel series, because the novel is called Land of the Black Squirrels, the Bronx Boheme novel, book one. Um, I call it Land of the Black Squirrels because if you've ever been to the Northeast Bronx, that's what our squirrels are. We have black squirrels. We started seeing black squirrels in the late 60s, early 70s. You had a few, and then you had basically gray squirrels. Then the gray squirrels began to disappear, and all you began to have were black squirrels. So that's why it is the land of the black squirrels. Just significant of that, you know, significant of that time and observation. But land of the black squirrels is really a story about the relationship between jazz and hip-hop and how the two melded in the Northeast Bronx, where... You had a hip-hop scene, obviously, because you had one throughout the Bronx, but then you also had a lot of us who were um, who were mentored by jazz players, older jazz players, because the um, Northeast Bronx became home to a lot of the bebop jazz and hardbop players from the 40s and 50s. A lot of the famous people ended up living in that part of the Bronx. Uh-huh. And, the, and, you know, the nature of real musicians are that when we see young people who want to be musicians you know, we, we reach out to them. You know, it, it might come in the form of formal lessons. It might come in the form of every now and again jamming with them. It might come in the form of when we hear them, giving them a pointer here or there. But that is, you know, that's always been the nature of musician and musicianship. It's always been a sort of like apprentice, teacher-student, mentor kind of thing. And that was some of the magic that I also wanted to capture in the book. I love so it. So the story... The storyline actually spans about a, an almost 60-year period and jumps back. And it jumps back and forth, which throws some people. But Now, what was that writing process like? Because you went from writing music to writing books. What, what was that change in that um, pen style? How was that for you? It was, it was an interesting experience because the... the um, I'd always been writing plays also, or I should say I started writing plays when I was about 19. And so playwriting and writing dialogue was something that that, that sort of ran alongside writing music. And, you know, when you're writing songs, you're writing a story, or at least if you're writing a good song, you're writing a story. So it was, mm-hmm. also, it was always a form of storytelling. 
But the thing with the novel was the novel actually began as a spoken word piece. It actually began as a long-form storytelling piece. But as it grew, I realized it needed to be a book. So the book is actually written as a text for oral interpretation, if you will. Mm. So what I what I what what I actually wrote, you know, I guess I guess to give a make a long story short, when writing a book for me was actually writing a long monologue. Okay, I can see that. I can see that. Now, how have you grown from the very first time you you picked up your pen uh, to now? How have you grown just as a man and as a writer in any genre that you're deciding to write, even if it's music? How has your pen grown? Well, considering I first picked up a pen to write when I was seven, and I'm now 52, (laughs) I guess (laughs) that... I, I guess you could say I'm a whole lot taller. My my voice is deeper. I've got a whole lot more body hair and facial hair, and um, my my command of language and my vocabulary obviously expanded over those many years. I also um, one of my big loves is teaching, and um, it, that was a love I fell into because I had no dream, desire, or interest in being a teacher. And um, but just sort of kept finding myself falling into teaching, and actually had to finally admit to myself I enjoyed teaching. And I remember one of my mentors, my mentors explained to me that artists who teach always eat. And um, he was right because there, you know, the years when the plays weren't paying bills or the records weren't paying bills. The workshops were, the classes were, the artist residencies were. So I found that, yeah, he was absolutely right with that. But what I also found was I love teaching. And one of the things I love most about teaching is it makes you revisit your foundations in whatever the discipline is over and over and over again because you're introducing it to somebody new. And that ends up oftentimes building up your own abilities. So I would say as a writer, my biggest point of growth, I think, came when I started teaching writing, which would be about probably 30 years ago. Oh, wow. When I, when I started teaching writing and I started teaching improvisational theater and storytelling and, and um, poetry and playwriting, you know, when I first started teaching those things. And, of course, now um, the beautiful situation I found myself in, back in 2003 was when I was offered a professorship at UMass Dartmouth and I accepted it. I'm still there. I'm now going into year 17. And um, what I love about academia in terms of teaching is that they force you to actually remain professionally active. It's not just you sit in the classroom and just pronounce. You actually have to go out into your field and actually do what it is you do. So for me, it's, I actually have to perform as a as a storyteller. I, I have to have plays that I circulate and get produced. I have to write books. You know, so it, it forces me to actually do what it is that I'm teaching to the students. And it also gives me a good idea as to what kind of landscape they're facing. Absolutely. Because, that was, uh, what, what made you go into writing plays? Honestly... It was, I, when I was in college, 
I had joined the Black Drama Collective as a um, musician, but then they used to do these things called coffee houses where they had skits and sketches, and I ended up writing skits and sketches because I'm funny. What can I tell you? And <laughs> And I've always had a, a penchant for conversation. Under, you know, I, I could always write in two different voices so they would actually sound like two different voices. That, that was a skill I sort of fell upon when I was in maybe fifth or sixth grade. So I started writing sketches for the Black Drama Collective, and from there it then grew out to writing short plays and then full-length plays. And when I was... And, you know, the funny thing is music has always been the entree because, like, for example... I became a, um, <clears throat> I joined New African Company, which is a theater company. I joined as the composer in residence, but then actually started studying acting and playwriting and um, theater education, which was how I then ended up becoming a theater teacher, a drama teacher as well. And um, it was funny because uh, my mentor there, Passed, you know, now has passed away, but a gentleman by the name of James Spruill, who led the New African Company, he explained that my understanding of jazz and discipline as a musician would carry over very well to understanding the disciplines of um, method and system acting. And it was quite true because it was understanding discipline and process and steps and um, assessment, which you know, which, which is what you do as a musician, but it translates over to arts, and then of course translates over to teaching. Uh-huh. But you know, now, for all, all of all of this. I'm sorry. Go uh-huh. ahead. No, go ahead. No, I was I was just gonna say. So you know, that was, you know, so playwriting just you know became something that really evolved, and like I said, being a storyteller in a way, I was always writing monologues because when you're telling a story that's really what you're doing a monologue or a soliloquy and um so it was sort of like again just a natural progression i love it now when you sit down you're writing music or you're writing your book or you're creating a play where do you get your creativity where does that flow from sometimes i mean oftentimes it, it flows from experiences and sometimes it's even taking an experience and thinking to yourself, what if? What if, what if this went a little bit differently? Uh-huh. You know, I get that. Um, and, you know, you, um, and, and, you know, it, it's sort of like because playwriting or, um, in general is really sort of like a philosophical exploration where you're creating all the sides of the argument in terms of the character's dialogue. Uh-huh. And, a well, and a well-written play is one where the audience comes to the conclusion on their own. It's not one where you feed them, this is what I'm saying, this is the story I'm telling. It's more a matter of you present the situation and let them look at the situation and how it ends up, and they come to the conclusion of, was this right, was this wrong? Is this is this how this should have gone, or could, or should this have gone differently? Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, you know. now, now, when, your now when your energy is flowing, have you ever had that have moment where maybe, maybe you're writing, maybe you're writing, and then all of a sudden, a, 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 a song pops in your head, or you're 
oh, you're yeah. working on music and then a book idea pops in your head. What do you do when that happens? Make a note to myself. And if it becomes overwhelming, I sort of try to pause what I'm doing and address the new idea and go back to what I was doing. Um, in fact, it's it's funny you should say that because in the process, for example, of I'm writing a prequel to the novel right now, a sort of novella, in the process of writing the novella, an entire jazz album popped in my head. So I oh, find wow. myself oh, wow. so I find myself sketching out the arrangements for the jazz album and realizing the jazz album is actually the musical imprint of the novel that I just never actualized. Oh, goodness. Oh, goodness. So, so you just make a note to yourself, and it's like, listen, remember that you got to write this down later. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, here's an idea. Or, you know, we and now thanks to iPhones and whatnot, you can just record. You know, it's like I have a melody idea pops in my head. Okay, hit record, sing the melody into the phone. Now I've got it. Now music flows, now, music flows, flows through your flows your blood, your blood, your spirit. What do you feel about the state of black music? We have, black people have to take our culture back. You know, it, it it goes beyond it goes beyond our music. We've gone from being tastemakers to consumers. We used to be we we used to be the um, progenitors of culture and now we've become the consumers and what what has happened unfortunately with black music is you know you have so many people who have disdain for playing instruments and they're thinking that they can make music with samples and loops and computers and it's sort of like yeah you can't alter chord voicings or understand chord voicings to to know how to alter them on a computer. You can cut and paste a bunch of stuff and it'll sound great, but then where does the invention and the innovation come from? Where does, you know, where does the art, because as you said, music is something that flows in you. It's even something that you channel. It's part of our DNA. And I don't think our DNA included sampling, cutting, and pasting as the only thing we do. Because, you know, let me make this clear. It's a beautiful art form, collage, visually and and musically can render some amazing things, but it shouldn't be the only thing that happens. Sampling and looping is beautiful. So is playing a guitar. So is playing a saxophone. So is playing a bass. You know, being able to quantitize a beat on a drum machine, beautiful. Being able to get the perfect snare to hit on the two and four on every two and four in the record, wonderful. It still does not take away. It still does not take the place of Max Roach or Art Blakey or Dennis Chambers playing a real set of drums and locking out a real nasty jazz or real tight funk groove. You see what I'm saying? It's mm-hmm. like, but what we try to do is we try to allow it to turn into an either or. It's either a drummer or a drum machine, and it should really just be a matter of let's appreciate both. And you know, the music has now become so electronic that it has no soul. Oh, wow. And 
Uh, my son, the ZYG808, who's a hip-hop artist and producer, he has a cutout now called Thumpin'. So if you look up on YouTube, the ZYG808, and um, the song is Thumpin', T-H-U-M-P-I-N, uh, check it out. He's starting to build up a little bit of buzz around that, coming with some old-school flavor. Oh, most definitely. Most definitely. Thank you so much. You're so very welcome. Yes, Thank so you for kicking it with me in the chat room. I'll see you soon. soon. All right. Look forward to catching up with you again. Thanks for having me on. You're so very welcome. You're so very welcome. Oh, peace. Oh, that was super great. Shout out to y'all. Oh, it was nice to be able to listen and hear about the history of our music. You know, a lot of times us being, especially me being younger, we don't get the um, it, the opportunity to experience it like that. You know, when we listen to people that's been doing music and, and, and just in their craft for a long period of time, you start to respect um, their growth in that crowd. And so we appreciate him coming to kick with us and sharing that with us. We're going to take a brief break and then we're going to be back with author and stylist, Adini Boykin.
now tuned in to the mother uh, greatest. All right, all right, all right. Yeah. We are back. We are back. Welcome to Let's Chat. I'm Miss Leisha. You know I've been talking that talk. We got my fabulous side, my fabulous co-host. You know she's my left hand, and most of the time she is my right. The fabulous Miss Tony. Hey, T. Hey, Leisha girl. How you doing? I'm good, girl. I'm good. We got our next fabulous guest coming to kick it with us. He is author and stylist, Don Dini Blinken. But I call him Don because you know, T, I can mess up the name. You tell me I can call him that, that's what I say. <laughs> Let's make it even more simple. Just call him D. <laughs> <laughs> got you, got you. Thank you so much, ladies. I really appreciate you having me on. Thank you. And that was just a beautiful intro like that. Believe in me really spoke to me, and it, um, it's actually kind of like what my book is about. Absolutely. Now, tell us a little bit about Don Beanie for those who are not familiar with your fabulous brand. Okay, so um, like I said, my name is Don Vinnie Boykin. I'm originally from a small town called Humboldt, Tennessee. Um, it's West Tennessee, like an hour away from Memphis. Um, I graduated high school at the age of 18 and moved to Chattanooga, Tennessee, where um, I was going to school to pursue a degree in business marketing. Um, I was there for three years. I kind of learned a lot just about life um, and then drifted away from that school, ended up moving to Atlanta, Georgia, where I currently reside, and um, got a degree in um, fashion and merchandising. Um, And it was there at Barter College where um, I fell in love with fashion, um, I got introduced to the world of modeling um, through a, a friend of mine who was a photographer. So she introduced me into modeling. Um, I then got signed um, with Ralph Lauren um, with a two-year contract. Um, I modeled with them, like I said, for two years. And through that, I kind of didn't want to be in front of the camera. I wanted to shift a little bit behind the scenes because I just thought that I could use a little bit more of my creativity um, as just being a canvas, you know. So. I got into styling. Um, from then, I got my first gig with a celebrity um, brief from America's Next Top Model. And um, through her, I was able to network, go to events, um, got the opportunity to go to the BET Hip Hop Awards in 2011. Um, and that was where I met my next um, client, which was Keisha Cole. Um, I styled her through, through um, her, al- her album, A Different Me. So that taught me a lot just about creativity, um, being a brand, um, and then moving forward. Um, and through that, um, I kind of wanted to take a step back from styling, and I wanted to start a production company. So I started a fashion production company where I in-housed and did styling, produced fashion shows. Um, and then that's just where the brand Dambini just branched from. Um, and then moving on, um, I did not want to be just known for fashion and styling. You know, I said I don't want to be – in my 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, to be known as a model or just as a stylist. You know, I wanted to add different titles to where I am at in my life right now at the age of 34. Gosh, I'm Listen, tired. Listen, Listen, you heard You 34. You're 34. You're most 24-year-olds. Like, listen. Then most three people. It was a lot of hard work, a lot of grind, dedication, but yeah, it was definitely, it's, it's definitely been a, a roller coaster. 
Now, how have you grown from the time that you started your journey to now as as a black man um, and as an artist? I would say um, as an artist, more create more um, creatively is to just uh-huh. be myself. Um, you have a lot of people who are out there just to do things for likes, um, doing things just for attention. Um, but I found that throughout art and creativity, you know, it strengthens you as a person. And through my creativity, I've been able to tell my story, which is why, you know, I wrote the book entitled Reveal. And um, now I want to inspire and I want to help others through my artistry and through my creativity. Well, you say you're talking about writing your book, but where have you found the time with so much on your plate? I'm going to call you D. Well, Is that honestly, okay? <laughs> that's fine. That's fine. Honestly, it's taken me two years, um, and mm-hmm. it's been pins and needles. Um, because the title of my book is called Reveal. It's a year without my dad. So two years ago, I lost my father. Mm-hmm. Um, my father mm-hmm. was a huge factor in my life. He was an uh, iconic African-American figure back in my hometown and in, the, in, in Tennessee. Um, he was a assistant principal, a basketball coach, as well as a mentor to a lot of kids. And so me and him mm-hmm. had a really, really great bond. Um, and it was just a tragic incident, you know, that happened You know, he wasn't ill or anything, and so it wasn't expected. So throughout throughout that year, I um, experienced just different things, suffered through depression, um, and through my book, I wanted an outlet to where um, I know me growing up, and even in our culture in the African-American community, as black men, we're not taught to be vulnerable. You know, we're not taught to express our feelings. You know, we're taught about mm-hmm. love, but, you know, when it comes to expressing our feelings, how we feel or if we're hurt, you know, we're taught, to, you know, stick it up to be tough um, or also if we speak on it, we're labeled, you know, weak or vulnerable. So through my mm-hmm. book, um, it's, six, it's six chapters. Um, it's called Reveal. It's an acronym for Realizations, Emotions, Vulnerability, Emotions, Alienated, and Love. And that's all the things mm-hmm. I experienced from realizing, like, death happens, it hit close to home, from the emotions that I experienced from, you know, wanting to call my father and not being able to speak to him, you know, on birthdays and, you know, holidays. It's just even getting on the road and driving to see him. And then I have that Mm -hmm. vulnerable moment in the book where I just talk about me wanting to just express my feelings, um, even Mm -hmm. going to see a therapist. And actually for having a therapist that doesn't look like me and doesn't have the background that I've been, being an African-American, who just right. couldn't really connect with me on an emotional level. Um, mm-hmm. And then being enraged, I went through a period where I was upset. I was mad at the world. You know, I turned to um, alcohol. I drank, you know, went out seven nights a week. And then um, I had my alienated period. And my alienated period was where I just stuck to myself. Like, I didn't talk to much family. Didn't talk to many friends. Um, I also turned to God during that alienated period, so it was kind of like, you know, doing a fast. And then that's where he spoke to me um, and told me, like, you know, hey, through everything that you've been through, you have a story to tell. Because throughout that time period, I had had friends and loved ones who had passed away, um, and I had it to be their support because, you know, mm-hmm. I woke up and God said, you know, you're not the only person that's gone through this. Um, and then lastly, the last part is love, you know, just finding the love to be able to, to share my story, um, to love my family even more and spend more time with them, with my mom, my sister, my brother, even my uncles and my aunts and my cousins. 
um, just having that love factor for them and to be there mm-hmm. with them. Wow. You have lived three lifetimes, John. I mean, when, when, you, when you lose someone so close to you, like a parent, you know, and, and like mm-hmm. you said, being um, an African-American man, sometimes you don't have that outlet to let out right. that grief, you know, and, mm-hmm. and it, it's exhibited in so many other ways and areas in your life, but you went through a whole lot. And for you to even attempt seeking counseling, that was a big step because most of us don't. But the unfortunate part is that, like you said, the person didn't look like you or knew that background. And at least I give you kudos for even seeking out counseling because, like I said, most of us don't. But did it help you in any other type of form, the counseling in and of itself? Yes, it did. It, um, because I did do group counseling. So with the group counseling, there were other male figures, and then there were other African-American men who I had talked to, and they said the same thing. Um, so even with this reveal project, I'm going to be spearheading a um, national campaign called The Man Behind the Mask. And so with having Mm -hmm. those conversations with those men um, opted me to do this campaign to just have conversations with men about different things that they're going through, adversity. We have the social justice system that's going on now. So that campaign is going to launch next month in September. It's going to be on all social media Mm -hmm. platforms. Um, just to get conversation around men to be able to speak, you know, speak their truth. Um, I just recently had a friend um, who's engaged, um, just had his first baby, and unfortunately um, his wife had a miscarriage at birth, you know. So he's like, you know, he he calls me and he says, you know, hey, I don't know what to do. I'm a man. I need to be strong for my fiancé, but when I see her hurting, it hurts me more too. I don't have anyone to talk to. So, you know, Mm -hmm. I spoke to him about counseling, but through I know – what it did for me, you know, a lot of people may have the same observations about counseling that I did, you know, and he's like, you know, I just wish I had a group of people that I could talk to and mentor, through, you know, about what's going on. And so that's what the Man Behind the Mask campaign is leading up to my book launch is just to show awareness to men that, hey, we do have issues, you know, we have mm-hmm, problems, mm-hmm. we suffer adversities, um, and just get some conversation going um, about mm-hmm. what's going on in their lives. Wow. Well, thank you so much for sharing that, Don. Can you please share with our listening audience how they can be in touch and even find out more about what you're doing? Gotcha, yes. Uh, my book reveal, The Year Without My Dad, is going to be launching this fall, late October, early November. Um, you can find me on Instagram um, at I am Donvini. That's I-A-M-D-O-N-V-I-N-N-I-E. Um, you can also find me on Facebook, um, Donvini Boykin, B-O-I-K-I-N, I'm also on Twitter, I am Don Vinny, um, and those are my social media outlets. My um, book will be on Amazon as well as it will be in Bars and Nobles, um, mm-hmm. and you can get a copy online and in store. Well, thank you so much for sharing your journey. What an amazing journey you've, you've, you've had, and it's not done yet. I appreciate it. Yeah, I know. I still have a lot more work to do and more things that I want to accomplish um, and I greatly appreciate you all for this platform. I think it's amazing what you guys are doing for our community and our culture. Um, so just keep up the good work, ladies. Thank you. And you are welcome back anytime. Anytime. No problem. I would love to be back. We'd love to have you. Thanks so much. All right. Have you a great guys, night. Take care. Good all right. Bye.
what an amazing person, Lee. He's she super, has, he is super dope, uh, like, like dope in real life. Y'all know that's my saying when I say dope in real life. He has <laughs> so much more that he has going on. Um, he is mm-hmm. super dope. And just his vision and his forward movement. Mm-hmm. Right. I would love to have him back where we could have some more time to just delve into him, you know, because yes. there's so many faceted layers of him. I could just hear it through his voice. Yes, visionary. Let me tell y'all, we're going to be seeing his stuff. And, and listen, and I, I've seen him just just being able to look at his Facebook and being able to just experience him through conversations. I know that mm-hmm. his fashion line is going to be um, – and he's always say he's not a designer, but listen, his fashion line is gonna be awesome. I'm about to just put that on out there. You know I'm always putting stuff out there. <laughs> I'm always putting stuff on out there. He just throw that on out there, put that on his plate too. <laughs> yeah, I know Lisa always filling up somebody's plate. I'm just saying. <laughs> evolving all the way around um, Mm -hmm. to to, to so much more. And it's always great when you have a vision and and you can see that your vision is a lot bigger than what you started with. Your vision is really more than what you anticipated. And and sometimes it can get overwhelming because you're like, wait a minute. Mm -hmm. What what extra hours in the day am I going to get this time from? But it happens. God always makes a way for it to happen. Whatever is placed in your spirit, you know, when he tells you to move your feet, you got to move your feet. You got to make it happen. So Mm -hmm. we thank y'all for coming and kicking with us here in the chat room. You know, I'm Miss Leisha. She's got my girl. Miss Tony, we are talking that talk about external resources. Child, listen, you know, we always talking about the COVID and how, you know, we've expanded ourselves. So, T, listen. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't know. Y'all watching our live? Y'all got to make sure y'all catch out Let's Chat Live uh, because we just be talking that talk as well. But, you know, I started making hair masks. Child, a whole hot mess, right? <laughs> so I told you I started putting it in the freezer. I remember. So, I think that was one of our lives on Friday, I think. <laughs> so what I did was I took it out the freezer. I thawed it out because it was the right. Uh, that I blended up, and then I put it in the blend back in the blender with some coconut water and some um, banana, and it came out great. You banana. <laughs> you and your banana leaf. <laughs> and it came out great. <laughs> Listen, I am determined. I am determined not to pay fifteen, sixteen dollars for no shampoo. I'm starting to do it myself. <laughs> yeah, Lisa come out of this pandemic with all kinds of patents. <laughs> no, I don't think there's nothing I'll be sharing with people. I don't think I'll be sharing it with people. No, thank you. And listen, just for me, just to advance me. She's going to be even more multi-talented. I'm going to come down there. T, you want to get your hair done? No, sweetie, I just got it done next week. <laughs> Good old science 
I sure will in a hot minute. Listen, my son was like, I want some fresh donuts. I was like, I'm going to find us a recipe. We're going to make our own donuts. She was like, they don't have no Krispy Kremes out here. <laughs> oh, I can't with you. <laughs> Sherelle Dawson, the original OG overseas game changer, coming to you. You said, "Let them know, girl." (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for having me. You you girls are having a lovely time there. I love the guests. I've been listening to them. They're fascinating. I love the work that you're doing. So, thank you for having me this evening. You are so very welcome. Absolutely. Now, tell everybody a little bit about your literary and educational journey. Well, believe it or not, I actually entered the education field later on in life at the age of 40, Mm -hmm. but I honestly believe that I was born or destined to be an educator, but, you know, many of us, for whatever reason, we didn't want to be stereotyped or pigeonholed that all we can do is become teachers. So for the first uh, working years of my life, I attempted a time, you know, business, training, speaking, but it was my motivational speaking experience, you know, from the time I was three years old. I believe I was born with a, a, a microphone in my hand instead of with a rattle as I grew up. So uh, through my education experience, I decided at 40, I had, actually I had a minor stroke, and um, I lost the activities of my left side for about 16 months. So I knew, yes, for 16 months. But I knew that I had to continue to fight and not give up, that that was not my end game. And Mm -hmm. uh, I remember one day after about 16 months, I went to Brazil and certain places to go through some personal rehab and training. You know, I saw a sign on the New York City subway. Do you remember who your fourth grade teacher was? And I said, Mm -hmm. yes. And I I called her name. It was Miss Riley. It was at that moment I responded to a recruitment ad to become one of the New York City teaching fellows. This was one of the first ones, though they call us Cohort 5. So I returned back to school, and I entered the teaching profession at age 40. 
Now, let me just say this if you're sitting down. I don't look it, but I'm 60 years old, so that I'm no way tired. And so but it was very, very insightful for me to go back to school. Most of my classmates were in their 20s. I was a bit intimidated because sometimes we get too focused on the age versus getting focused on the mission. And so, mm-hmm. but I knew, that, I knew that actually I had a mark on my back to be an educator. I believe that I'm a world stage educator, and I use my voice to bring about change, change the paradigm and change the narrative. And so after that point, I went back to school. My first teaching position was in, bed, was in Brownsville, Brooklyn, if you know anything about Brooklyn. And I remember by the time I entered the classroom, I was the third teacher uh, to teach a third grade class, and it was only the third week in September. Everyone else said, Wow. And Whoa. I said, at, at that moment, I said, I cannot turn my back on these children. And mm-hmm. I stayed at that school, PS 327, for uh, six years. And I taught mostly boys, and I began, um, I began a, an initiative to make sure, and a commitment to make sure, a young, a young uh, adult leadership program, young youth leadership program, to make sure they had strong, positive role models, positive role models that focused on entrepreneurship skills. Believe it or not, this is so amazing. To this day, I'm still in touch with my students, my sixth grade students, till this very day. In mm-hmm. fact, I just recently hired one of my sixth grade students to come work with me. After what, almost 16 years, we've kept in touch. So for me, it's important to not just give back, but it's important to build up. Because I did not have the luxury of having an instructor, a professor that looked like me. So that is where my part of my journey is coming from. And it kind of informed the theme of unapologetically black in China. That's a whole other story. I don't want to jump ahead, but I'll let you go ahead and ask another question. <laughs> oh, my. Oh, wow. See, I live in New York, so I know exactly the areas that you're talking Absolutely. about. Absolutely, yes. And for, and for you to be a third teacher in three weeks for a third grade class yes. in September, yes. oh, my goodness. I could not turn my back on those children. I could not. But the funny thing is, um, I remember, I've got to go back to that experience. The funny thing is, I remember when I entered the classroom, and uh, the first time I entered the class, I used to hear these sounds, like pop, 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 pop. I thought it was a car. There were gunshots, so the kids were underneath the desk. And I said, I can't do this to them. I cannot leave them. They're in a very difficult situation. I cannot leave them. I needed to make sure that I helped them understand the importance of who they are their destiny, no matter where your circumstances are, the way you start is not how you're going to finish. And so teaching is a very big part of my life. Working with mm-hmm. young people is always a very important part of my life, and it's something that I have dedicated my life to as an educator, professional educator, but also as part of my mission. Part of my mission mm-hmm. and my purpose is to always reach back with young, to work with young people. Very, very important. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, Dr., um, this is Tony. We forget to say who we are because we sound so much alike. You know, but just listening to you, I have three children that um, they're all they're all college graduates now. But I remember the third grade was the hardest grade yes. in all of their years of school. The third grade for each of them was the hardest, and I think it's because it's a transition between being, you know, just entering school and then really getting serious about school. 
and it's an identity formation. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes, it is. Well, I started out with the third grade, and I ended up teaching sixth grade. So I stayed the third grade one year, and uh, a student threw his, threw a clock at me. And believe it or not, when he threw the clock at me, I grabbed it and I said, "Now is your time." And I that's what I'm <laughs> not your time, but your time. And I committed myself to working with him. And believe it or not, I love those children. They will tell you to this day. I, I took them in as my home, my own. I would take them on trips. They would visit me. I was just committed mm-hmm. because they needed to have a, a constant source of force in their right. life. And I felt that I was destined and called to be there. I felt like God called me to them. For me to be able to stay mm-hmm. in their life for 16 years, every one of them. I lost one of them, unfortunately, to gun violence. But I still keep mm-hmm. in touch with that original group. I still, to this day, on Facebook, and when my, my, my other one, her name is Stardacious, uh, she said, oh, I need a mentor, and I was thinking about you. I said, well, then come work with me. And, and because I'm a, an international traveler, I encouraged her that she's going to travel with me, that she just today sent me a message that she finally received her passport. I'm so proud to be able to have that kind of impact, to be able to take her with me so she can learn mm-hmm. with me what it's like to be a businesswoman, what it's like to be a big dreamer. It doesn't matter where you start. It does not determine how you finish. I'm just honored that God has chosen me to live my life as an example to help others without always apologizing for who you are. Because something about mm-hmm. me that most people don't know where that comes from. When I was in high school, I got pregnant. And it's very difficult when you're in high school and you get pregnant because the, the mark that's placed on you, or the scarlet letter that's placed on your life, is that you have no positive outcome. And I, and I pushed mm-hmm. past that. And I graduated mm-hmm. from high school. And when my daughter was two months old, I went to college. I heard somebody else. I went to University of Tennessee, took her with me in the classroom, would nurse her in the classroom. I would tell the professor, mm-hmm. just turn around while I nurse her, okay? And so, <laughs> I mean, you know, unless you want to get some. I didn't, you know, so, but anyway, that's my... <laughs> so you know, all my life I've been, <laughs> all my life I've been a game changer. All my life I've been a game changer. My passion is living mm-hmm. abroad. That after that, you know, I'll let you ask some more questions. I don't want to take over, but it's so multifaceted. I would like to interview myself if I had a chance because it's really like, it's, it's really an awesome wonder what God has used me to do in this life. And believe it or not, he is not finished yet. Well, honestly, Miss Sherrill, just fine. Absolutely. Honestly, Miss Sherrill, you are supposed to take over. You are supposed to flow. You know, whatever is in your spirit, you let that flow, and then we pull questions from the things Absolutely. that you share with us. It's always easier when you're excited about what you have going on and you're letting that flow, and we can pull questions from some of the things that you say, opposed to us having mm-hmm. to pull those questions out of you. So you are okay. Thank you so much. More than okay. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much. But I want to ask you. I want to ask you, Doctor. What do you contribute your authenticity that has led to your longevity in the field? Well, actually, I'm not in education anymore. I'm, I'm an entrepreneur. I started my own business. Mm-hmm. And I, got, I, don't, you know, I started mm-hmm. my own business a couple of months ago, COVID-19 Adaptive Response Consultant. And what we do is we work as connectors, intermediaries in the uh, PPE space. We're making sure that mm-hmm. hospitals, schools, and other organizations receive the needed medical supplies that they don't have access to. 
And that that business started out as a need, as a need to serve, as a need to impact COVID-19, but as a need also mm-hmm. to change the narrative about I belong in this space too. You know, most mm. of my life I've always been the only cookie and, you know, the only chip in the cookie. Let me just be candid with you. And so mm-hmm. I've always had to, I've always felt like I had to prove myself. But then I started right. saying, I don't have to prove myself. I can be anywhere and do anything that I can do. And so that is my core business. But my mission, my vision, my brand is Overseas Game Changers. And that's really what I want to talk about, the original OG. Overseas Game mm-hmm. Changers is a brand that I started when I was living in China. I've lived in China from 2011 up to January 16, 2020. And you have to understand, <laughs> if you look like me and you go live in China, you get a lot of questions. People want to know, mm. well, what are you doing here? Do you speak Chinese? Uh, how did you get mm-hmm. here? You know, and so you always have to explain yourself. And right. in spite of everything, I got tired. I remember, I remember the recruitment interview. And I interviewed on the phone. They heard my voice. Now I probably mm-hmm. have more southern twang in my voice. I might have more soul. But before, I used to say, this is Dr. Dawson. Good afternoon. You know, so it was a little different. But I brought mm-hmm. the tone down because sometimes I'm so excited, I just let it go and let it flow. So I remember that they, you know, the uh, recruiter said, you know what? Um, you may have a difficult time teaching in China. We don't want you mm-hmm. in front of the children. We would have you in the back when the parents were around. And that was unacceptable to me. I just couldn't understand that. Mm-hmm. And I said, mm-hmm. what do you mean? They said, well, no, because they may not be used to someone like you. Now, keep in mm-hmm. mind, cred- credentially, I'm heavy loaded, okay? Mm-hmm. I, come out, I come out blazing on both sides. I was like, I didn't understand. Right. They said, well, that's why we wanted to talk to you, because you have really great credentials. So I said, why do I need to prove myself? I remember when I arrived in China, I remember the class. I, I, I was a, I've been a university professor in China for almost nine years, and that's a whole other story. They said, mm-hmm. oh, when I showed up, they said, oh, you're black. I said, you know what? All my life. So what's the problem? And so, <laughs> yeah. so for me, that wasn't an issue. I, said, I, didn't, I didn't understand because I grew, up in, I grew up in Great Neck, Long Island which is a very heavily mm-hmm. resourced community, which is a predominantly white community. I never thought about the issue of race. I never thought about the issue of gender. I don't think about things mm-hmm. that most people think about because if I want to do something, I just do it. If I want to go somewhere, I just do it. I don't, have, right. I don't have this mindset of limitation. I don't have this mindset of lack. I don't have this mindset of what I can't do. You know. So anyway, they said, well, you know, you're black. I said, you know, I've been black all my life. And they said, I've <laughs> never... I've never seen a black professor. I said, but you know what? Wow. Get ready because I'm going to bring some more in. So anyway, which I did over the years. But anyway, mm-hmm. I've always had to be in a position to set the stage per se, uh, mm-hmm. set the stage for resistance and strength and overcoming because we're judged. And I get tired of being judged by the external. Because I'm so mm-hmm. much deeper than that. If you really, you wouldn't have time in your lifetime to really sit down to really understand me. Because my life mm-hmm. has been not from A to Z. It's not been a cakewalk. It has been one of consistent, persevering, and overcoming. Like I said, when I was at 40, I had a minor stroke. I had eye surgery before that. I had second and third degree burns on my face. When I was in China, I had to heal myself. It's always been one of constant overcoming. 
And so mm-hmm. for myself, I don't know what it's like to, to quit. I don't know what it's like to quit. But I actually quit. Mm. I'm going to quit now because I forgot your question. <laughs> I'm sorry. Yeah, I, I, just get, I, question. I'm so in tune to what you're sharing with us. I just get so excited that, you know, when you begin to realize that your life is a gift and you begin to realize that you are a gift and you begin to realize that every day that's given to you is a gift, you have to get excited. That's the vastness mm. of God. So many of us complain, we don't have this, we're not ready. When I was teaching in China, I never allowed my race, my, my ethnicity, my gender, my stature to be a barrier or a burden. I, my students all loved me. I've taught, I've taught over 1,000 students. I taught from the sixth grade up to the Ph.D. level and one of the first African-American females to teach at a university. People were nervous, but you know what? The, the students would come, sometimes when it was too hot and you had to walk up seven flights of steps, I would say, come and have class at my house. And they would come in shifts, 25 at a time. And I'm in the room with mm-hmm. 25. And sometimes I forget that I was different from them. Being in China so wow. long, I, yeah, I can't say I forgot I was black, but I did because it was never the focus. There was such mm-hmm. genuine love and camaraderie. Some of them I've adopted as my own. Some of them I will invite them to come visit me. I must, because I've adopted them as my own. And so, again, I never let the racial uh, issue be a divide. I know I'm probably fortunate, I'm sure, but when you have mm-hmm. that love, when you're genuine in your heart, people resonate, and they are drawn to that, and that's what I move with. I move with the, pa- the fact that, number one, I belong here. Number two, my voice is important. Number three, I'm no longer apologizing for being different. And once you accept that, once you accept that you are just as as good as the next person and that you deserve to be there, you deserve wealth, you deserve education, you deserve freedom, once you understand that that is not something that's out of reach, that's not something that is impossible, it is something that mm-hmm. is actually your birthright. So when you can understand that it's your birthright to live well, it's your birthright to speak well, it's your birthright to do well, and you then you will do well. Mm. Wow. Where do you find this inner strength to keep going? Because you have so much to share with others. Where do you find the strength to just keep putting that foot in front of the other? I'm going to be honest with you. I have three reasons. Jasmine, Destiny, and Christopher, my grandchildren. Mm. I owe it to myself through my struggles to leave a Mm -hmm. legacy so they don't have to. I owe it to myself to do that for them. I must. Because God has given me much in terms of education, experience, opportunities. So I Mm -hmm. cannot leave this earth just by taking up space. No. For me, it would be criminal. I owe it to myself to live a big life. I owe it to myself to set an example. I owe it to myself to help others reach where they need to. I owe it to myself to serve others because you know why? You need me. Mm -hmm. You really do. Mm -hmm. There are not Mm -hmm. many people who can say, I'm here for you and I got you. Because somebody somebody had to be there for me. Now, I'm not going to let you take advantage of me, but my heart is big enough through teaching has taught me I can love many children. Love covers a multitude of sins. 
And so mm-hmm. because I understand that, I take I take whatever role, whatever opportunity God has given me, I owe mm-hmm. it to myself to do well. I owe it to myself to be better than the best. I owe it to myself to be better, not in comparison to anybody else, but to myself. I owe it, but most importantly, to Jasmine Christian Destiny. I owe it to them to leave them a legacy because God has given me much on many different levels, and he continues to help me evolve. He continues to help me develop. He continues to help me grow. He continues to help me prosper. I owe it to myself. And I just want to mm. say, I just recently came off a 50-day fast. I want to talk about that real quick. And so when I came back from China, I was in mourning. I lost, I was mourning over the loss of my life. And I needed to break through. So I've now become what you call a breakthrough coach in addition to my other business. Helping people break through the barrier of limitation, break through the barrier of lack, break through the barrier of insecurity, break through the barrier of doubt. And so I needed to do something drastic. I needed to make a stand because mm-hmm. if, if you don't make a stand for something, you'll fall for anything. So I needed to make a stand. And I remember it was in June. June I, I, I was led divinely to put myself on this fast. Now, I don't know about you, but I've never done a 40-day fast. I've never done a 50-day fast. I've never done a four-hour fast. <clears throat> so I know that it was spiritually divine. It was a water fast. I was only on the eighth day. On the twenty third day, whoa, on the eighth day, on the on the eighth day. No, hold up, let me finish my story. On the eighth. <laughs> <laughs> I heard water. You just slid that right through. <laughs> <laughs> water on the eighth day, on the twenty third day, I was hungry. Mm-hmm. I ate salty, and I ate one cracker, and then I kept going. Just one cracker. Right. It could be it could be symbolic. I don't know. I ate one cracker. That's a whole other story. Anyway, so I. <laughs> <laughs> So I had one cracker. That's all I had was one cracker. I don't know what it was for, the symbolic reason, but I ate one cracker, and I was able right. to keep going. But by the 40th day, I said, you know what? Now, that was a complete water fast. But to be honest, by the 40th day, I had a loaf of bread. And it was symbolic. Now, after 40 days, you mm-hmm. would eat a loaf of bread. I'm sure you would. So I had a loaf of bread. Okay. I, I had a loaf of bread. I said, okay, but then they said, I can continue. So for the next mm-hmm. uh, the next ten days, I would have what they call um, it was sun up to sundown. I would eat not even a meal. I would eat a protein bar. But that's all I had for fifty days. So I was on the fast for fifty days. But during Woo! that time, but during that time, I don't I don't encourage everybody to do it because you have to have a certain mindset. But I was looking mm-hmm. to change my life during that time. I needed to break yokes and strongholds and oppressions and mind thoughts, and I had to break thought patterns and all that. So I was able to do that. I have seen more growth and change in my life mm-hmm. as a result of that fact. People always ask the first question, well, did you lose any weight? I would, I would, I would answer them, well, wouldn't you? What a question to ask, hello, you know. But it wasn't, it wasn't. It wasn't for it wasn't for that reason. It was something that right. I needed to show that number one, I no longer need to compare myself. I no longer need mm-hmm. to doubt myself. I no longer need to deal with the issues of feeling like I'm an imposter, of imposter syndrome. I no longer needed to deal with issues of of uh, limitation. Because if you can fast mm-hmm. fifty days, you can go through anything. 
And so that has actually transcended and transferred into my life and my business. My business has grown. I now have a new tribe. These people that I work with in the in the in the um, COVID nineteen medical supply space, I consider them my tribe. I, I really have a good connection with them. We have fun together, and you know I've never seen them. <laughs> you know I've never seen them. So I guess I guess you know if I, if I was into online dating, I could say I could find love because I've never seen them. But we have a bond, you know. We <laughs> we have a bond and a connection because we have like mindedness and we believe that right. all things are possible and we're and we're serving one another. We have a gift of life to be able to use our talent, skills and abilities to help people who need us the most. And so Wow. That's that's my little story. I mean, it's not a little story, but that's a little, little story. version of it. <laughs> wow. <laughs> you know, we're going to have to have you back where we can have the whole show dedicated to you because you have so much to offer people. You Thank know? you. And there's so Thank many you. layers to you as well. But before you leave the chat room, Doctor, can you tell us a little bit about your book? So my book is yeah this. My book is entitled Bed Stuy, you know, Bed Stuy Brooklyn, Bed Stuy to Beijing, mm-hmm. Unapologetically Black in China. I was living in Bedside at the time. I had just got, uh, well, let me be honest. I got fired, okay? I've been fired from every job in my life, so I've always had to create new opportunities. Because that's not my path. God kept telling me, you kind of keep going down this road trying to work for somebody else, but that's not really who you're supposed to be. And I want to encourage other people to stop stop uh, fighting your destiny because you're going to have too many examples that are going to bring you right back. So anyway, I landed in Beijing, and I was from Bedside of Beijing. The title was catchy, so it sounds good. The cover is amazing. The content is in- interesting, but it's not that deep because when I wrote it in China, because of censorship, I really couldn't mm-hmm. talk about some of the intricacies of being black in China. I didn't really want to focus on my race or ethnicity, but it was just more like of a, a creative statement because it got everybody's mm-hmm. attention. When I was doing my book talks in China, they would always, you know, fill up the room. It was always interesting. So it really, right. it's really a memoir about my journey of self-discovery and my journey mm-hmm. to stop making excuses, stop apologizing mm-hmm. for being different, you know. I'm not going right. to, I'm not going And it really is, it was a testament or symbolic testament that I'm tired of watering myself down to make others feel comfortable. So you can tell by my voice. I'm not going to water myself down to make you feel comfortable. Either you're going to catch up with me or sit back and get some popcorn because this movie will continue. (laughs) (laughs) I know that's right. Yes. And I'm also a filmmaker. I'm also a filmmaker. Mm -hmm. I made a film. Yes, I made a film in China called uh, Coloring Outside the Line. So it not only talks about myself and the achievements as an African-American professor, it chronicles the journey of 14 other blacks in China, in Guangzhou, and how they're able to be the best in class in a country, in a, in a society that is homogeneous, coloring outside the line. Yes. Mm-hmm. We're working on post-production, what? right? We're working on post-production. I didn't even know I was a filmmaker. One day I woke up and said, I'm going to make a film. <laughs> and so we did. Like I said, one day I'm going to wake up and make a book. So we did. One day I wake up and say, I'm going to make some money. So we did. You know, that's just how it is. Everything begins right. in the mind. And so, you know, we're working right now on post-production. I had to stop. I invested all my savings into the production. Now I'll be able to continue to maybe hopefully to get this out in the fall. It's a beautiful, beautiful documentary, not only of my life, mm-hmm. of wayfinding, but the lives of other people of African descent in the, in the diaspora and how they 
overcome the difficulties. And many of them speak Chinese. It was amazing to listen to people of color speak Chinese with such eloquence and class. It's amazing. Beautiful, beautiful, mm-hmm. beautiful. I'm just so, I get chills when I think about it. I'm so excited to be able to bring this out into the world, world stage. So, mm-hmm. Wow. Where do you find the time? I mean, I'll, I have, you have, all of our guests have lived lifetimes, multiple lifetimes. Well, I wake how up at 3 o'clock in the morning. So. I was going to say, how do you balance it? How do you balance it and make sure that you're still pouring into yourself? Because a lot of times we are very mindful about how we treat other people and how we pour into other people. And then we tend to be selfish and stingy to ourselves. Um, mm-hmm. Because I think in society we were taught that if you pour into yourself and you do for yourself that selfishness as a woman. Um, so how do you balance everything? I go back to my original statement, and I'm going to make this a very as clear as can be. When you get to that point in your life and you recognize you have a mark on your back as called, let me just make it real clear. When you recognize that you have been called according to a purpose, you learn to balance because it, time makes room for that. For, there's a season for everything. So I never worried about I was tired, I'm this. There's a season for everything. But once I realized that I had a mark on my life as someone that was called to do something great, that's what kept me going. And I had my three grandchildren to continue to push me to excellence. I've had many struggles along the way. I burn my face. I have a condition where I'm allergic to the sun. That's a whole other story. I had to overcome that. I created my own product line behind that. I created so many things. But I, I can never give up. Because I'm not going to leave this earth just simply as an empty space. That's all I did was eat, live, and sleep. No. So for me, I don't really have to eat anymore. Give me some crackers, and I'm happy. <laughs> and some water. <laughs> and, and, I'm a of bread. <laughs> and a loaf of bread. And a loaf of bread. Not a loaf of bread all the time, but maybe every 40 days I eat a whole loaf. You know, but my mother always says, they're getting smaller now, so it's really okay. <laughs> you know what? documentary so much more it's so much more there's not enough time in the day to really talk about but the only thing that my purpose in life is honestly is like god just use me use me in a big way i don't care how you do it use me in a big way because this is not my ending so many women in in my age group i'm sorry they feel like that's it life is it for me i'm just beginning let me tell you a little secret the best is yet to come get ready like Mm -hmm. cb harvey used to say buckle up Get ready. That's all I'm going to tell you. Just buckle up. <laughs> I believe. I believe every word you say because you are not done. You are not done. No, I'm not. I'm no way tired. No way. Buckle up. It's wow. going to be a game changer. It's going to be. The things I'm embarking upon next is going to be a game changer, and it's going to change the way people look at age, growing older, being a female. It's going to change. It's going. That's why my brand is called 
Overseas Game Changer, I'm the original OG. Absolutely. Mm. Unequivocal. You better talk that talk. I know that's right. <laughs> talk about it. Let them know. <laughs> I love it. I love it. And when you get ready to change that game next year, we want you to come right back on here on Let's Chat and talk that talk with us about the evolving uh, process that you yes. did, that you went through to evolve to the next level. And it is a process. Always, people always think that the, the, the shortest distance between two lines is um, a straight line. The shortest distance between two points is a straight line. I don't. It may be true in the mathematical formula, but not in everyday life. The ones who really, the ones who really are impactful, are the ones who have a story. It comes through struggle and overcoming. But the ones who say, "Oh, I just jump up," no, I don't believe that. I need somebody that has some skin in the game, that's been through something, that I can sit down and listen to you. My vision for the Breakthrough Coach and Overseas Game Changers is really to help people. I'm so tired of seeing people depressed, complaining, always criticizing, because we are fearfully and wonderfully made. When you understand who you are and who you are and how you're divinely designed, you have more than what you need to do what you have to do. God does not want us to live small. He doesn't want us to walk small with our shoulders hung over. He doesn't want us to think small. You know, really, the vastness of him, the vastness of God himself is, for me, evidence that I can do big things, greater things than this can you do. So I accepted that charge in my life. Mm. I love it. Talk oh, that talk. Boy. Talk that talk. <laughs> Bro, you better tell them about it. Listen, because, you know, we have to be able to, I think, you have to, to experience certain kinds of, especially as a woman, you got to experience mm-hmm. strong women around you. That's part of your encouragement. Right. That lets right. you know. And sometimes, you know, you have to take those bold steps in the dark, and sometimes those steps are made by yourself, and it's okay. Most of the time, the walk is alone, but the beautiful things are like Moses. God will always send somebody to hold up your hand. But most of the time, it is a solo journey. But that's okay. Because you will learn lessons about yourself. You'll be amazed how much you can overcome. You'll be amazed how resourceful you are. You'll be amazed how much you bounce back. You'll be amazed how your interpretation of life is. You'll be amazed. You'll just be amazed at your mind. Like I'm, I'm constantly amazed at my mind because I know that it's not myself. The ideas that I come up, I know that it's divinely imbued in me, and so I'm just open. I'm just an open vessel. And there's a song that says, use me, Lord. And that's my daily affirmation on my prayer. Use me, Lord. But it doesn't mean it's going to be easy. You will probably face more rejection, more ridicule. I mean, every time I've gone through something, people will say to me, but I burned my face. I had second and third degree burns on my face and with hot water. I, I spilled it by accident. And I, cured, and I cured myself in 13 days. That's a whole other story. That's a show. That's a show by itself. But I have really beautiful skin now. I'm not boasting. You can see it's very because I knew what it looked like when I didn't have it. When I had burn marks across my face, I have photographs and I'll send it to you. But God gave me the exact way to heal my skin through the use of tilapia fish skin. That's a whole other story. Wow. That's a whole other story. Wow. That's a whole other story. And I didn't know at the time when I was directed to apply tilapia fish skin with some other plant-based um, ingredients, that they were already doing experiments in Brazil with fish skin 
for healing burn victims. I didn't even know. That's the awesome wonder of God. That's the mm. awesome wonder of God because he showed me what to do. And when I, re- when, I, when I unveiled my skin, my face, mask, my the scars were all gone. If I show you before wow. and after, you're not going to believe it. So then I started, I started a practice. I was helping some Chinese girls heal their feet because during the Chinese New Year, they keep their feet warm over like steam, so they would get steam burns. And for the first mm-hmm. time, I had to. For the first time, I remember kneeling down with one of my Chinese students. I washed her feet, and as she was crying, because she says I will never wear to wear sandals again in my life. She says. Teacher, they don't say teacher, they say teacher, teacher. She said, I will never wear it. I said, honey, I'm going to help you. God has given me the gift of healing. I'm going to help you. And I remember I, I applied mm-hmm. this condition that I made to her feet. To this day, she wears sandals. She could be a foot model. She wears sandals, and she's so proud because the before and after was amazing. So, again, there's nothing we cannot do. There's nothing we cannot achieve. My greatest mm-hmm. in my life has been overcoming the fear of being wealthy overcoming the fear of being a millionaire. Well, I, I'm breaking through that barrier as we speak, so I'm grateful, thank you, Lord, for the opportunity that are in front of me to break through that because it's a mindset. But that's, I think yeah. I've taken all this radio time, and I really don't want to do it. <laughs> we have enjoyed wanna... your journey with you. Thank you. So thank mm-hmm. you. We all appreciate you coming and kicking with us in the chat room. We want you to Absolutely. shout out all your Media and where everybody can get your book and be able to be in contact with you. Well, you can find me on. Um, you can definitely find me on YouTube for the. I am the uh, the breakthrough coach. I talk about my fasting journey. I give instruction how fasting has changed my life. I talk about before and after. You can find me on Facebook under Dr. Sherol Dossett, or you can go to my business site, COVID nineteen Adaptive Response Consultant. I reach out to you how to help you during this COVID-19 period. Um, mm-hmm. And you can find me on, you can always find me on LinkedIn. It's a professional site under my name, Dr. Sherol Dossett, UN Ambassador at Large, the original OG, Overseas Game Changer. You can find me anywhere. You just call my name and I'll be there. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I know that's right. my time, uh, ladies, and continue to do this great work. It's exciting, and I'm really looking forward to continuing updating on some beautiful projects I'm going to be working on soon and how we can mm-hmm. come together. You know, I'm all about young people, especially. I'm always I'm always an educator. No matter I'm a businesswoman, mm-hmm. I am always an educator. That is something that is, is my birthright. I can't run from mm-hmm. it. Many of, we cannot run from your destiny. One day, it's going to catch you. And when it catches hold of That's you, right. your your life will never be the same. When you're in your purpose, it'll never be the same. Mm-hmm. That's right. Well, please come back again, Doctor. We so enjoyed having you tonight. Thank you so much. Now, how do I do? I hang up or do I? How do yeah, I get out of here? Yep, just hang up. <laughs> just okay. Thank you so much. <laughs> Have a good thank, night. Bye, bye, dear. Thank you. Bye. Cheers, so awesome. So <laughs> yes, absolutely. And then I love you know, we, we love when, when when people come on and they share more with us than us just asking a question because we get to be able to bring out other questions that we can ask mm-hmm. them. So it was awesome that right. she was able to 
share her space and her journey and just her energy with us. It was super great. I appreciate her for that. Absolutely. That was great. We appreciate you. <laughs> so many layers. Absolutely. We're going to take a brief break and we will be right back. Uh, sorry, y'all. Trying to find some music. This is State of Emergency. Bitches, 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 bitches. You want me to do? I'm sorry. I'm back. I'm back. I'm back. I'm back. I'm back. Corporate love and hustle. Making money hustle. Independent business. 24 struggle. On the block hustle. Crooked cop hustle. No sleep in these streets. 24 struggle. On the stroll hustle. Trickin' John hustle. Working the pole. That's your goal. 24 struggle. Counterfeit hustle. Politics hustle. Flipping bricks to go legit. 24 struggle. Overbooked hustle. Writing books hustle. In, in, in the pen with your pen. 24 struggle. Nick, no Afro picks, taking over, no apologies, I'm killing all this shit. Listen, 
I told you I'm a savage, but you wouldn't listen. Uh-huh. I came to take over the whole game, that's my mission. Carrots, you're a motherfucker, now pay attention. Now that I got your attention, uh-huh. let me complete my sentence. Born in the slums, I hustle for crumbs, I saw for days. Now it's time to get paid, dug into my last day. Streets made me a menace, mama didn't raise uh-huh. no fool. Bottom line, you course was mine, homie, I eat your food. I ain't with that mumble uh-huh. shit, the only thing that mumbles quick is when I put that muzzle on that bitch and I freeze that shit. Yeah, I'm insane, nigga, crazy and I'm cool, cold. Split personality, I don't know who's who. Screws loose, so watch what you say to me. I will snap out, I'm a New York Jersey nigga. But now I wanna run the south, it's not where you from, nigga. It's where the fuck you at, so I switch that NY and flip it to a brave cat. Running up the check, running up the check, yeah, yeah. Stepping on they neck, stepping on they neck, yeah, yeah. Haters popping off, I don't feel a threat, yeah, yeah. Better come correct, gotta get respect. I was born for this, I will, I will go to war for this. If you standing in my way, you gon' be on the floor for this. I'm a savage, 21 savage, a grenade without a pen. Taking over, no apologies, I'm killing all this shit. Hey. First off, you don't know who you fucking with. Right. That nigga KJ here bust quick. Better watch what you say when you run your lips. He's crazy in the range, you don't give a shit. Uh-huh. Pop pills, that boy is so That's ill. Right. Disrespecting, you get killed. Living like the viper, the DC sniper to the bitches, I wear sleep hype, yeah. You don't wanna with the kid from Jersey. Better pray to the Lord for some mercy. Uh-huh. Cause when I come, I come with fire. Stop putting on your rap, you lighter. You ain't never do a big, you a bitch, nigga. You be lying in your rap, you ain't rich, nigga. Uh-huh. You don't want no war with the kid, nigga. I run up in your motherfucking crib, nigga. I kill you, kill you, kill you. And leave no witnesses. No. And write a book about uh-huh. it, like OJ Simpson did. Uh-huh. I'm a savage nigga, uh-huh. I am out of my mind right. I'll hunt you down if you got diamonds and shine I'm on my grind nigga, so don't you waste my time And if you disrespect the king, you know you cross the line I see you haters nigga, I hear you haters talking You gonna end up six feet deep in the fucking coffin I'm about my paper, I'm about my thriller, I'm counting figures I seen a cross in your eyes, that's why you switch nigga Oh you a bitch nigga, I'm counting chips nigga You keep on chasing ass, I'm getting rich nigga Running up the check, running up the check, yeah, yeah. Stepping on they neck, stepping on they neck, yeah, yeah. Haters popping off, I don't feel a threat, yeah, yeah. Better come correct, gotta get respect. I'm gonna bump for this, I will, I will go to war for this. I throw every feeling possible right out the door for this. I'm a savage, 21 savage, Captain Nick, no apple pick. Taking over, no apologies, I'm killing all this shit, hey.
All right, all right, all right. 